Hello, everyone. My name is Kate. Oh, and uh, I, I'm Derek. <laughs> and you're listening to Artwise. We started talking before I, we started recording. I'm like almost out of tea and everything. Like we wasted 20 <laughs> minutes, 20 minutes of content. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Artwise. Today I have with me Derek. Why don't you go ahead and, and tell the Artwise people what you're all about? Yeah, I'm Derek, and you can find me on social media at Derek's Q Art on Instagram and TikTok. I've been a graphic designer for four years. I've worked in the marketing and digital marketing space, and I've also done print and everything that you can imagine as a graphic designer within my four years. So in-house freelance, and at an agency. I'm currently in-house right now. Awesome. So like I was saying, we, we've been talking about a lot of different uh, design-related stuff. It's really, it's nice to have another designer on the podcast with a similar background to me to talk about this stuff with. <laughs> so got a little distracted, but that's okay. So uh, the first question that I always ask everybody, no one gets away from it, no matter what. I mean, today we're we're mostly going to be talking about um, breaking into the design industry, um, like gatekeeping and design, red flags, things like that um, as a graphic designer. Um, but before we get into all that, I just wanted to ask you, um, how did you begin your journey into art and, and what got you started with graphic design and what other types of art do you do? Yeah. So um, what got me into art? So I've, I grew up watching Pokemon, anime, cartoons, and a big fan of Yu-Gi-Oh. And so it started out with me creating my own characters and doing fan art of my favorite anime. I would be, the, I was that kid in middle school with tons of Naruto fan art in his sketchbook. And I brought with me, if anybody's familiar with Shonen Jump on the October 2010, I actually have a piece of fan art that I submitted in this issue. Oh my gosh. It, it was my first Every printed one in 2010. And I did the Kakashi on page 230. So that's awesome. That was, that was where I started. Middle anybody, school. <laughs> sorry, I just want to say anybody who's listening to this on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify or who is just listening and not looking, uh, you can see this actually on video on YouTube. And I think Spotify supports video now too. I just wanted to add that for anybody who's just listening and couldn't see it because. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, but so I it started out me just doing fan art for years. And then I uh, was in AP art in high school. And then it kind of, I didn't really graduate with like a great GPA in high school. School was never my thing. I was, I was that kid who literally wasn't paying attention and was doodling in a sketchbook most of the time in high school. And uh, so I went to a community college and that was kind of like my first interaction with the professional art world. And it kind of took off from there. And through that, I did community college for three years and I transferred into an art and design school. And that design school was partnered with a state school. So the tuition was a lot lower. And I, I originally transferred to that school trying to get into the entertainment and video game industry. I was going to be an illustration major and a digital media major until I took my first interactive design course. And then I took a typography course. And that was kind of when I switched to my major because I was selling art by then to people. I was doing pet portraits for people for many years before that. And it design was the first class that really clicked like the business side of my brain and the creative side of my brain. And it kind of just went off from there. Wow, that's that's crazy. We have a lot more in common than I originally <laughs> thought. Yeah, no, I took a similar route, I think. I also went to community college. I got my associates, mm -hmm. but I had to stop there because mm -hmm. even even like the state schools around here, I just like I couldn't afford it. And also at the time that I had graduated with my associates, I already had a design job. And so I was like, I like, 
You know, mm-hmm. like when you do like job applications and it's like bachelor's degree or relevant experience, I kind of felt like I already had the relevant experience. So I was like, oh, I'll just see. And like, if I need to go back later and get it, mm-hmm. maybe I will. And I would like to, but I, you know, I haven't financially been able to get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to have to take out like a bunch of loans. Yep. No, it was, it was the same. I almost did not go to art school because I got a portfolio scholarship and that was the whole reason why I was able to go. I grew up in the Midwest, Northern Michigan with just my mom and me. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm really involved in is kind of opening the doors behind me as I get more in the design industry, because I knew nothing of it in my small town and it was financially inaccessible to me for the longest time. I didn't touch Photoshop until my second year of community college. Oh, wow. Yeah, like only a time before that, it was at my local school computer and I took like one small class to make memes in it. And then I never touched it until I was like in my second year of college. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I've been using, I, I started, I think I learned Photoshop. My, I was really lucky in that my, I'm, I'm from Florida, so like the Tampa mm-hmm. area. My my high school had a pretty good art program. We had like three art teachers. I learned Photoshop. I took like a digital art imaging class. Mm-hmm. And that that was where I learned Photoshop, but I didn't learn Illustrator until after mm-hmm. I graduated high school. I still use it for some stuff though. Like I mm-hmm. remember I I for I was also in AP art in high school too. And I was a member of like National Art Honor Society. Um, and I was yeah. like, the president for two years. And every year we had like a little t-shirt design contest. And my senior year was like, our, I was like, all right, this is my year to win. <laughs> so my best friend at the time, her current, not her current right now boyfriend, but her boyfriend at the time. Oh, this is so 2017 of me. But her, her boyfriend at the time was like, put me on the shirt and I was like, say less. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I took a picture of him, like, cause you know, dabbing was like a thing when you did this. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Back then. So he was like, okay, put me on the shirt like this. And I was like, okay. And so he did that. <laughs> and I, I pulled, I pulled it into illustrator and I live traced it as like two yep. color. And I added a vector of like a paintbrush in his <laughs> and I had like paint I wish I could show it to you I probably actually I have it on my phone I have a picture of it somewhere I definitely do so I'm gonna look for it but I I added like a really like poorly drawn like vector of a paintbrush in his hand and I had paint in like a circle around him and it just said artist subjective in the paint okay but like legitimately photoshop one of the best ways that i've ever started improving in any adobe program was using it to mess with my friends or make stupid things yeah that's how it gets, that's you, exper- how I- <laughs> it gets you experimenting more i think it's a good way to get better at the programs it is it's how i learned everything is like okay how can i make this like really dumb idea i have and then i do it <laughs> and i like it it really does teach you a lot and also it gets you excited about what you're making I really hope exactly. I'm able to find this this picture because I definitely have a photo of me well, in high school wearing this t-shirt and I really do want to show you because I think you'll appreciate it. It's really not good. It's my first t-shirt design ever. As a t-shirt designer who like five years of experience designing specifically t-shirts, you would think <laughs> it would be better, but it's not very good. But apparently oh, no. it was well, but- it's it's, it's a enough. myth that anyone starts out spectacular at this stuff. I mean, my first projects and doing art, like my friends like to send me old Naruto fan art from my Facebook from years oh ago God. to remind me where I came from all the time. That's good stuff. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're in my senior year. Took me that long just to find my senior year of high school. Oh gosh. I definitely have... See... It would have been smarter of me to go to my high school art teacher's Facebook and see if it's still there. Or not her Facebook, her Twitter. She has like a Twitter. I I wonder if she still uses it. I definitely. From the sounds of it, I think we graduated around the same time frame. I graduated in 2014. I graduated in 2018. Oh, never mind. You (laughs) You were just in eighth grade when I was a senior. That's funny. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm a youngin. See, I was thinking that, but I think we were just a few years behind on the trends. And I think that was what made the shirt funnier was the fact that it was outdated. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Memes lasted longer back then, though. They die out in like three weeks now. Yeah. Yeah, that was a whole thing. Oh my gosh. I really hope I can find this picture. I have, sorry, I'm going through 20,000, 25,000 photos right now trying to find this one picture that I know is in here somewhere. Oh, well, what, while you're uh, finding it, I can talk a bit more about what other art that I do right now. Absolutely. Finish up the, yeah. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> I, I also run an Instagram account called Derek's Q Art, and I post a lot of like, Sanrio fan art and anime fan art and I do a lot of Shiba drawings because those are my favorite types of dogs and I started it because like for me it's like the it's easier to do art when you have a prompt and so if you have a theme around your Instagram you never have to second guess of what you're gonna make that is true yeah <laughs> that is and true so, and so I did that and I did that. I posted every day there for a year last year. So it was from like July 2021 to July 2022. I posted every day there for for a year. And um, I used it to get better in Illustrator because that was my weakest program for the longest time. But now it's my strongest. Really? I, you know, that's something that I used to think like, when I first started applying for design jobs, I really thought I was stronger in Photoshop because, and I was at the time, because mm -hmm. that was like, I feel like everybody starts with Photoshop for some reason, but I genuinely feel like Illustrator is significantly easier and it just makes mm -hmm. more sense. I don't know. The The concept well, of, of objects just makes a lot more sense to me than pixels. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a very important software because like the work that you make in it is non-destructive so you can mm -hmm. always go back because in photoshop you know it's it's a non-vector based program and it's not you're not working with math points you're working with pixels and those can be destroyed and distorted whereas with vector like you can just clone over that stroke you like and move on to a different iteration without even thinking about it. Whereas like in Photoshop, you have to go like, make this a smart object, shift this over, save this in a different file. And so it's like that it became my go-to program because I could always work my way back. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, yeah, I really <laughs> like, I, I want to learn more. I want to learn After Effects. You post about After Effects sometimes too on, on your mm -hmm. TikTok. And I'm always like, I need to learn that. Because I always see people making the coolest stuff in After Effects. But I get overwhelmed. And I'm like, oh. I, I <laughs> so used overwhelming. to be intimidated. I used to be intimidated by it. I did not learn it until I was out of college. And like all of my friends were able to afford an After Effects class. I didn't because I didn't have three grand for the class. And it wasn't until, yeah, it was three grand <laughs> for the class, but my work, one of the jobs that I got out of college offered a free Udemy membership. And there was a dead week that I was, there was nothing to do. So I just went ham on the courses and I already knew Adobe Premiere because Adobe Premiere is a lot easier. It's a video editing software, but it's the same principle of you're on a timeline, there's keyframes, there's editing you know, you can put music in there. And so I was able to connect that to After Effects and the classes. And I was able to get started in it. And then after that, like, my boss saw that I learned it, and I started working with her more. And so that's how I got better at it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely want to learn. I, I've, I've used Premiere before, and I can mm -hmm. use it, but I'm definitely... Like, I wouldn't say I'm, like, a super expert at Premiere, but, like, I can... Mm -hmm. Small it's, Premiere, Premiere is a good baby step into After Effects, at least in okay. my opinion. Be because, like, you, like I said, you, it's very similar elements. But After Effects is a lot simpler than what people think. It's more of, like, it's funny, because the more I got better at After Effects and I'm trying to teach myself more motion design, 
I, I find that most of the stuff made and made for After Effects is to make it look more like older animation because After mm. Effects does things too perfectly and organically. It's kind of like how like the one of the current design trends is to make things look more retro. It's because people yeah. don't get printed stuff anymore. Like they it, besides books, people don't get magazines anymore. That most people get posters. But like, so people miss touching print media. So a lot of it's kind of making it look more organic now. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of, of really cool stuff with After Effects. And I also, I see too, as somebody, you know, I look, I look for a lot of um, contract work and freelance work uh, when, wherever mm-hmm. I can, because as like a new freelancer, it's so inconsistent. So I'm always looking at uh, jobs and stuff. And I, something that I see, which I feel like is probably, this is probably relating to one of the questions I'm going to ask you later is like, they want a lot of designers, graphic designers to know After Effects and to know Premiere and to know UX, UI stuff. And I don't, a lot of that stuff I don't know because... You know, I mm-hmm. I don't have a design degree. I'm self-taught. And also, like, I had just, you know, I figured Illustrator was, like, the big player. And honestly, it was easy to learn. Mm-hmm. I, I The whole reason that I learned it, I lied on a resume. I said, of course I know how to use Illustrator. And they were like, okay, you're hired. <laughs> and I didn't know. I had never, I had used it maybe, like, two or three times before. But it was so mm-hmm. easy for me to learn that, like, no one found me out to my knowledge. Oh yeah. Well, and that and that's the thing that I always recommend people to is like if you feel like you can learn the software within a like your first month of working there cuz they they're, they're going to give you a grace period. Mm-hmm. Say yes. Yeah, cuz like I I um I I'm so happy my work was able to pay me to learn that and that's like the ideal situation. So I I've been yeah. recommending people to start out in design at a print shop because at a print shop you have access to Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign and those are your core programs and they they have a local work computer but like if you're at a small enough print shop they won't care if you stay after for a couple hours to experiment and it's one Adobe subscription you're not paying for. And you're going to be in it every day. And they're they're probably going to pay to teach you different things, especially if you can get printing under your belt. You're a league ahead of most other designers. Some designers walk out of design school without barely learning pre-press skills. The fact that yeah. you worked at a print shop puts you so far ahead of people. Absolutely. So, you know. Mm-hmm. My first design job was at a print shop and I would 100%, 100% agree with you having those skills they're so they're so useful everything that i learned at my first job i was i was at a custom t-shirt shop mm-hmm. i learned how to do separations for screen print i learned how to cut vinyl and weed vinyl and how plotters work i learned how direct to garment printers work like mm-hmm. i learned so much information that my next job when I was doing a lot of production art type stuff, I was like worlds ahead of my coworkers who were yep. twice my age. And people mm-hmm. were, it made, it made people really mad, me working that I think like a lot of people, but funnily enough, my, my boss, cause I remember um, when we all first started working there, I was the last person to get hired on my team. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this before we started recording, but for that job, six month application process, absolutely insane. Yep. Six or seven interviews before I got hired. I was the last person on my team to get hired. My boss even told me she was like, straight up, we were concerned about your age because I was 19 at the time. I was yep. the youngest person at the whole company in that department by years. And she was mm-hmm. like, we were really concerned about your age. We didn't know if you could do it. But after, you know, you like, I had an interview where they tested me and they were like, okay, design these shirts and blah, blah. Like I had like all this stuff. They timed me and everything. She said, you were clearly like the the most knowledgeable and like the best person for the job. But the big concern that's, was your age. That's a big thing with people in design. And the thing is, is that the people doing the hiring don't know 
there are a lot of designers now who already know the core programs and After Effects before they even go to college now. Yes. Because, yeah, yeah, and it's like, I was talking with my old college professor and they're like, yeah, we had to restructure some of our college courses with teaching design programs because a lot of people come in already knowing them, but it's a problem because some people are like me who come from a lower income background who didn't have access to an Adobe subscription until college, Yeah, you know, and... So it's like balancing the two and it's, it's rough, but like, I, I always say to my coworkers, there's a 14 year old out there who is three times better than me, who is already freelancing. And, you know, it's like just something that like is, it's ever since a lot of YouTube tutorials took off, the Mm -hmm. age range for people learning design has only gotten lower and lower every year. Yeah. And it, I think it's really, I think it's really cool that people are are able to do, to do that so young. Uh, mm-hmm. I I feel like I was really lucky because had I not, first of all, I have a parent who's a designer. My dad, I recorded mm-hmm. a, an episode with him. If you want to listen to it, it's old. It's like the seventh episode of the entire podcast. So I was really fortunate to have that. But I didn't have access to Adobe until Mm -hmm. after I graduated high school, like personally, like on my own. But my school had a lot of Adobe classes and they got rid of them. I don't know why they did that. They got rid of them my senior year of high school. Mm. So the people who were already in the Adobe classes kind of got grandfathered in and then they changed. We had like a, like a mixed media, like technology. I think we had like a tech, it was technically technologies program. And that's where all Mm -hmm. the classes were in. They changed it to business. So that doesn't exist at my old high school anymore. But it it doesn't make any sense either. Because fun fact, they teach Adobe and other majors besides art majors. They teach Adobe for people in marketing. They teach Adobe for people who are wanting to get into social media management. They teach that for photography, which is a completely different field than like some photographers never have to deal with the commercial art world. They just do weddings and small time other events. And it's just or you have people doing self-promotion for their business. You know, they have to do all the marketing. And that's why, like recently, I've been telling people, like, don't look down on anybody who learned design through Canva because Canva is only twelve dollars a month when Adobe on a student subscription is four hundred a year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm still using. Oh, my gosh. I hope like Adobe doesn't come for me for this, but I'm still I still have a student subscription. Can I, I, can just, I tell you something? I do, too. I have my student ID doesn't expire until this year. And I was oh, just going to Photoshop it to say 2025. No, yeah. they, I had to send them a student ID picture to verify. It was crazy. Oh, so I'm going to Photoshop it to say 2027. You're so smart. Like... I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. I'm going to take my old student ID from my old college and just Photoshop it. That's smart. No, I just like <laughs> made up a fucking random school. And mm-hmm. like, I was like, okay, this is where I go oh, to yeah. school. And they just, like, well, the, they, they're charging me the 20 bucks a month. So I'm like, okay, I guess it worked. Well, the <laughs> other thing I was planning on doing is that you can enroll in a college and not take any classes and you still get a student email. That's true. They give you the, e- that's the first thing they give you so that they can tell you how much money you owe them. So show up for orientation, <laughs> drop all your classes and. <laughs> yeah, that but... is true. And they'll yeah, let you have I, that email for like three years too. Like it does, mm-hmm. it, it, they, it'll be a while before they realize you're not enrolled. <laughs> yeah. Well that, and I was actually planning on going back to school because my work offers an education stipend. So it was going to work out either way. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wish that that's so cool. I love when people work at places that don't suck because I've never <laughs> experienced that in my whole life. Like, so, like all of these, I, I, I had a, so I uh, had an interview with a uh, recruiter for an agency based mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. And she was like, yeah, so actually, I don't know if you'd be interested in this or not, because we do do things a little differently than most agencies, but you will get a W-2 instead of a 1099. And if you work more than 30 hours a week, you get full health 
healthcare, health benefits, all mm-hmm. this stuff. And I was like, I didn't even get that at my job that I worked 60 hours a week. I had to mm-hmm. pay like 300 bucks a month to have health insurance and it didn't even cover anything at all. It was like horrible. And I was so blown away. And she was like, is that not normal? And I was like, I, I guess not in Florida. I don't know. Well, see, the thing is, is like my first couple of design jobs. So my my first official one that wasn't freelance was working for the college. I worked for my college. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was an internship. And that was like 16 an hour. And then I did contract work, no health insurance, no benefits. And then I got a part-time in-house job at a manufacturing company. And I did that for six months until I got my first full-time job with actual benefits. I I did not get like actual health insurance from an employer until I was like turning 25. So. Yeah, that's insane. See, cause my, my, so first job, print shop, no, no benefits, no pay time off. Uh, minimum wage made $9 an hour. Yep horrible left that job for my first full-time graphic design job i was a production artist slash graphic designer mm-hmm. i got paid like full transparency like if you guys ask me how much i get paid like we should be talking about this because mm-hmm. here's the reason why i made 16 dollars an hour to me going from making nine dollars an hour to 16 i thought i was rich i was like oh my gosh this is the most this is so much money i calculated it It was like thirty five thousand dollars a year i was like oh my god i'm like i'm literally like i'm making dad money i wasn't but i thought i was because i was 19 i was stupid and i was dumb i worked there three years the end of the second year uh, I got my first raise, which was like 10 cents or something stupid. And my boss was like, sorry, I couldn't get you more. I'm really trying to get you caught up to everybody else. And I was like, caught up to everybody else? What do you mean? And she was like, oh, shit. And I was like, oh, that's not and good. I was like, does every what does everybody else make? And she was like, well, you have to understand, like when you got hired, you didn't have your degree yet. And I was like, but I never you told me I would like get a raise when I finished it because I hadn't mm-hmm. finished my associates yet. And I said, well, when I finished it, you said I would get a raise. And I didn't. And she was like, mm. I, I know, but this is the best we can do. And I was like, oh, I need to leave this job. See, <laughs> the, and that's the thing. And it's so funny how people will use like a degree or something against you when some of the most famous graphic designers don't have a degree. Yeah, David Carson, one of the most prolific graphic designers of our time in the 20th century he he didn't have a degree. He started it out as a hobby. He started his own magazine because he wanted to. And now he's going to be in the graphic design history books. And he never went to school for it. And he said that that was an advantage to him. And I agree entirely because I feel like design schools standardize people's style too much sometimes. And it, it's, a, it's a give and a take. Your work kind of yeah. looks like everybody else. And so you're ready for jobs who want your work to look like that. But then at the the brights and um, the downside is that you lose your creative voice and you never got the chance to really express it in school unless you did personal work. Exactly. And only yeah. It's it's rough. I I do not like that. But when it comes to pay though, I really highly suggest looking into the AIGA. They are a National Graphic Design and Commercial Artist Group and they post salary and census data every year. And then the other one is Robert Half Salary Guide, which is free. And you can look up your salary of what it should be for that job. And they do all sorts of creative jobs. And they're also a temp agency. But I use that in my salary negotiation. But they still ended up not giving me the salary and I quit and left. But it's it's public information. And then you don't have to deal with awkward sharing salaries. But I wish more people did because creative gets stiffed the most when it comes to salary negotiations because they take us for granted. They really do. They really do. It's, it's so, it's so hard because, you know, I wish there was like a more of like a standard to know when you're getting screwed because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, at my last job, like I said, I was there three years. I got two raises in three years and both of which were like pennies. It was like mm-hmm. not more than, 
I think the biggest raise I ever got there was like 25 cents, like a quarter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't complain about it or, or anything at the time, but when I learned that everyone else that I had worked with was making 25 to $30 an hour, that's like a lot. Mm. That's very significant. That's almost double of what I was making. And it, they, we had the same title and we were doing the same amount of work. So I was really confused. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, it was just frustrating. I was, I felt genuinely like I was treated very differently because of how young I was when I first mm-hmm. started at 19 to like, I don't know if places still do this like post COVID or not, but this was before like COVID and everything. So like once at least a couple times a month, we would have a mandatory like team bonding happy hour where we'd have to go to Mm -hmm. a bar And it was so frustrating for me because like, it would be like a Friday. I wasn't getting paid for it. It was like after work on a Friday. And then I'd go to this bar and like one time my boss was like, Caitlin, you're coming. And I was like, it's a bar and I'm 19. Like, you think they're not going to say something to me? And she was like, they're not going to say anything when you're with us. So I try to go in, they ID'd me. And of course I'm 19. And I was like, I don't even want to be here. And they were like, you can't come in. My boss was like all mad. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a baby. What do you want from me? I, I told you this was a bad idea from the start. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to hang out with me, maybe we can go to like Chuck E. Cheese or something. But like, yeah, I can't go to a bar. Like, is this I, so? <laughs> no, I, I, it's fun. So I, I consider myself pretty extroverted. And I actually, you know, I attend events, I go out and do stuff. But like, I hate unpaid company events. Yeah, <laughs> I um, yeah. <laughs> like there, there's there's been very few where I've had a good time, and it, and it's mostly just because oh thank God I'm with the right people from this workplace and we can have fun now or all the boring people left and we can actually make jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I I wasn't a big fan of that. I I've been having like conflicts because like everywhere it sounds like they're rolling back these remote work things and they don't want to invest in a remote work culture, but they just want, it's, I feel like they just don't want to put money into that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been frustrating, but like, I love that I'm remote now and I am only in a total of two hours of meetings a week at most. And oh. then I turn off my computer and I just, I work until I would get my work done and then it's over. <laughs> it's so beautiful. See, that's like, that's a dream for me because I, Mm -hmm. you know, and at my last design job too, like it it was pretty seldom that I had to do meetings, but we always had like a one hour long weekly meeting that like my team had. Mm -hmm. And then I usually got sucked into, see when you're the youngest too, this is another thing that made me mad. And I guess this is kind of falls under the category of, I don't know if this is like gatekeeping or just a straight up red flag, but I would constantly be told by my boss that I had to pay my dues, despite, like I said earlier, having more experience in the field that I was currently working in. And it it was just so infuriating because we would have days where the whole production art team, we would have to go to the warehouse and see how everything was done. And they were like, one of like the people that worked in the warehouse that were actually physically doing the printing would ask questions. and I would always know all the answers. People like, how do you know all this stuff? I have been doing this for a couple of years and like you guys I mean I know you're all designers with design experience but like I'm the only person with print shop experience so it's like sorry that (laughs) was a problem that was a problem I faced at my last job and still sometimes run into because like my old head creative lead he barely knew the current programs and you know, he was a nice person, but like his design skills were not contemporary at all. Yeah. He did not he he had web developers on our team mad at him because he was building websites out in InDesign and and trying to convert them into Photoshop files or he would just like have someone else do it because he did not know the current software and it's it's infuriating because I knew more programs than him. I was a stronger designer than him. I freelanced, so I knew how to negotiate and be in business meetings. Every time I was invited in a meeting, people were happy I was there to ask the right questions. He didn't know how to set up a good timeline for a project because he wasn't working in it. 
He didn't know, he didn't really talk to any of the developers at all. And like I, I, within my first three months, I was getting lunch with developers to learn how long things take to make for a website so that when we're in a meeting, I can spot red flags because it's funny because in these business meetings, the people who actually have to do the work aren't there. And so we can't stop all the red flags. And so it's like us trying to tell the project manager who's actually in the meetings all the things to watch out for. But yeah, he, uh, it, it was it was just annoying to me that like in our meeting, I I was not valued and all because I was younger. And I, and I wasn't like the young, young, I was 25. Like I'm a grown man out of college and you're still inflicting ageism on me because I haven't been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. And it's, it, it's infuriating to be honest with you. Like, and, and the worst part was, is like, there were people on the team who were older than him who knew the programs better. So it's like, it was, it's, I, I'm not a fan of ageism because I feel like anybody can be contemporary in this field. I know people three times my age who can outdesign me in a minute and I respect them. But like, I feel like some people plateau and they don't want to invest in it because they got comfy in the position. And that's just yeah. what sucks is that, you know, in corporate America, you get paid more to do less. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me. I wish like I wish I could pull my dad into this conversation right now. Because he's, you know, he's been a designer for literally forever. Dinosaur. But he, you know, like at my at my company that I was last at, this is something I feel like is really problematic that I see a lot of companies do is they'll have an art department with a with a art director who is purely there to manage and has no art and design skills at all whatsoever. Like no art background, mm-hmm. they just have a management background. And it's like, well, that's, that's nice that you know how to delegate, but like you would be so much better off having an artist kind of work their way up into that role because then they know how everything gets done. And when they have meetings like that, where people are deciding, okay, like what design related things need to be done, Mm -hmm. you have somebody who knows how long it takes, knows the kind of effort that goes into it. You don't have somebody sitting there and just agreeing to something that's going to take ridiculously like long Uh, at my last design job my my manager did not have a background in in design she was not a graphic designer she did not know how to use illustrator and you know fortunately she she was actually pretty good at like asking us well how long does this take before i agree to this because i don't know how you know and she would just ask and that's fine but i just i feel like it's such a benefit to have artists kind of move up into those roles and actually have an art background because it really does cause a lot of problems when someone mm-hmm. is managing artists with no art background is like mm-hmm. how and and yeah and the biggest <laughs> thing is is so i i kind of saw that problem ahead of time in college because i was freelancing mm-hmm. and the biggest thing is like you have to speak an entirely different language to defend your work. And a lot of artists have problems with that. So for my last year of college, I was reading a ton of business books. Um, one of my favorite ones is Creative Strategy in the Business of Design by Douglas Davis. And he's a creative that went to business school and got a, I think it was a master's in business. And he wrote this book and I read that thing multiple times and it has helped me out, but the ageism still stood in the way. But cause like I would get into a meeting and I would actually try to talk to different people who have different goals. And that's the rough part as a creative is that everybody has different goals in the room. The account lead wants to sell this account for as much money as possible. The project manager just wants the project to go smoothly. The graphic designer wants a portfolio piece or the creative to actually be inventive this time. Then you got like the developers with their own goals and the business person charging you out with their own goals. And it's managing all of those stakeholders and trying to get your design to speak to all of them at the same time. And it's just a skill a lot of creatives don't learn until later in their career. And it's it's rough because you'll have non-designers critiquing your work on without referring to the brief without referring to the business goals 
and it's it's really rough so learning those and being able to tie that because like i i was on the email design team for a little bit at my last job and they were doing a b testing which is where they see which emails work or not and i threw out a design that i knew would work and that the client wouldn't like but when we ran the testing my email provided better. So we I was able to be like, well, the numbers are better. It's not the design. I wasn't speaking the language of the designer. I was speaking the language of business to them. And they, they went with that. And it's it's just a tough skill to learn because we know what goes into the work. We know what a good composition is. We know what good color is, but they don't care. They don't care. They just want it to make it, they want it, it to look the way that makes them feel safe. And it's it's just rough. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that's like really a testament to a good designer is being willing to learn. And I, you know, I hate to say it because like on especially on TikTok, because there's a lot of young people on TikTok, there's so mm-hmm. many artists who are just like, I have to learn social media. This is so stupid. Mm-hmm. I have to learn business to be able to get a job as an artist. I just want to make art. I don't care. I want to make art. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I totally understand. I feel that. But it's just not feasible Mm-mm. in any situation at all whatsoever. If you want to start your own business, see, this is what I did. I left corporate because I felt like no matter what the type of person I am, like my whole life just constantly undervalued. Cause I'm silly and I'm a little weird and I'm, I mm-hmm. look really young and I'm, you know, it's like, there's so many factors that go into just underestimating somebody and thinking that they just don't know what they're doing. And oh, so, yeah. and no, and, and, and you're not wrong though. I was, I actually made a few people mad in art school when I said to them, the minute that you declare yourself a creative and you want to make money off of it. And I, you know, I'm very anti-capitalist myself, but like you become an entrepreneur when you say yeah. that. It, even if, you are, even if, yeah. Mm-hmm, you are your own marketing and business and creative department. And I was talking to my current manager with about this because I tell her, like, I, I, I post on LinkedIn a lot. And she's like, you do? And I'm like, yeah, because I get work off of LinkedIn and I'm also able to track my engagement on the posts. And then I track my engagement on the website to see who's looking at my work. And, you know, I use it as my own marketing funnel because, like, I'm the only person who can advocate for myself. But, like, most creatives hate that. And it's, like, they they think, though, like, you know, I have to put on this business persona. No, people are going to work with you because they like you. And if you can show more of your personality, if you can show the qualities that make you interesting to work with or your point of view, you're more likely to get clients that will want you to be the way that you are throughout the entire project. And, but you have to keep showing up and that's the rough part. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard. I, uh, a few guest episodes ago, it was the second episode of the third season. Mm -hmm. I interviewed Hannah, who is a social media manager for mm-hmm. artists, specifically for artists. And we talked at length about that being so incredibly difficult, like showing up in that way, especially because, and you know, I've seen it with so many people that I know where, like we talked about earlier, the the more they kind of try to be a professional the the less creative their work is and this is something I feel really grateful because I fought tooth and nail to go to art school and Mm -hmm. I was not able to and now that I you know haven't gone I am really glad that I didn't go because my design is not for everyone in fact I know a lot of people who really hate it especially everyone Mm -hmm. on TikTok for some reason and it's it's definitely it doesn't follow like all the rules some sometimes you know so it's like learning you know how to market yourself to people and not only like show up with your artwork and say okay like Mm -hmm. this is what I have to offer and this is really good showing up as a person who looks like they'd be a lot of fun to work with I feel like is super Mm -hmm. helpful because nobody wants like even at a big company like nobody wants to work with like that Spongebob who like shaved his like 
corners yep. down and is like, hi, I'm normal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, nobody. It's, well, it's like, and it's funny, too, because, you know, I, I get hate comments on my work, too. And it's just, you got to realize that, like, rejection's part of the process. That yeah. everybody's going to like your work, and that's okay. But I meet all sorts of people at different skill levels in this industry. And I meet some people's portfolios who are just okay. But they have a, such a good client roster that they make way more money than me. Because the clients come back to them because they get that same exact experience of someone who's easy to work with and that they like. Because it's like, and that's a big thing in design interviews as well. My current job hired me because I was a big fan of Batman. That was, <laughs> that was it. He, he used to work at DC as his first graphic design job. Oh, wow. And I'm like, lucky, lucky. And he was working there during the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. And I said, I love those movies as a kid. And... And we talked about Batman for half my interview before we got to the interview questions. And then, and then the other artists on the team, the other designers saw my Instagram and they were like, oh, I feel like I know this guy. He's pretty cool. He likes early 2000s music and anime. I want to work with him. Like on my first day, my coworker was wearing a Hunter Hunter anime shirt. And I was like, I'm in the right crowd. And that's the thing that people don't realize. Like, if you've shown up to the interview, your work's already good enough. They want to see if they like you. And if you're unlikable and nitpick everybody's work and are negative about everything in the process, and they're they're just they're just not gonna want to work with you. They want to work with someone who, when stuff hits the fan, you aren't going to drag down the mood even more. You know, yeah, and and that's so important, and that's why, like, I saw a video you posted the other day about stepping out of making work and going out and living life and bringing that back into your work, and it's so important. I yeah. I get you get so much out of that. Like, have a normal conversation that isn't about art and design with someone else, and touch grass, and that will both ten times prepare you more for your interview than you looking over your portfolio 20 times. Yeah, I agree. I I feel like it's so it's so hard because I know so many artists who we talk this is something we talked about before we started recording. Just like the anxiety and the fear of not being enough and not being good enough and not being mm -hmm. not just not being enough for for this field. It's just so mm -hmm. it like when I talk to like younger artists or younger designers who are still either in in high school or in college or they're just starting out in their career like they're so panicked and they're all the time just like constantly burning themselves out and I'm like look you know I know for a fact I'm not the best artist out there by far mm -hmm. oh same I, I, I'm not the best either I'm not I'm the best either <laughs> yeah, not the best artist, not the best designer by any means. But you know, I I like to talk to people. I love this podcast. This podcast, like, yeah, it's about art, but it's not it has nothing to do with the I mean, I could, but it doesn't really have anything to do with like the actual creation process. And mm -hmm. like just me having spoken to 80 plus people about their career and their experiences and the things that they've done has unintentionally because this wasn't my goal obviously it's nice to do things that help your career but my goal wasn't oh I'm gonna talk to people and like use people as stairs to get to the top like I just mm -mm. was like oh this is like such a fun little podcast and like through meeting people they've been like oh your design style is really similar to mine and I also do brand mm -hmm. design and you know I accidentally took on too many clients this month do you think you could help this person out and like I've gotten you know uh, a little bit of work from it and I don't, you know, I don't get paid to do this podcast. I, I just started putting ads on the, the season two episodes like two months ago and I've made $10. I put like 20 Ooh. hours a week into this podcast minimum. Well, it's like, it's like, so you, you touched on this earlier of how like so many creatives feel like they aren't enough. And that's just because 
the community, like, especially in design, I did a video about this a while ago, yeah. and I was so happy it got stitched by other creatives of just like people, the re a lot of designers, no matter what skill level, I've met them all, all have imposter syndrome. And it's because the culture constantly said to them in the beginning, you are not enough, you are not good enough. And they don't realize that they're hurting the community because they, they like to get snooty over quote unquote bad work. But you create quote unquote more bad work by making people feel so insecure that they don't want to improve, then yeah. you do beating them. Like, it doesn't make any sense. If you want to foster a good creative community with more work that actually pushes the artist, don't make them afraid to create stuff and post stuff. If they ask for critique from you, yeah, give it. But, like, you're not going to create a good creative community tearing people down. And it's just going to it's just going to make everybody ask for lower money uh, when negotiating because they don't feel they're good enough. It's going to make people take bad jobs because they don't feel like they can get any better jobs. And you're just going to create a more negative atmosphere for the creative community doing that. And it's it's such a problem. And design is filled with that. Um, I, I was talking about this with my friend. She's a teacher over here in Chicago. And she studies intersectionality and design and likes to, we like to talk about that all the time. And she told me when we were last hanging out, like, did you know that the AIGA was originally a boys club that was started in Yale? It was, it was, it was meant for only rich white men in the beginning. And that's what perpetuated per, per, their culture. And it, it, it washed down from big design schools and that. And those were the people who got into the ad industries. And those are the people who started only hiring from specific schools. And it started a problem. And that culture leached out into everybody else. And slowly the design movement is healing from that. But like, just think about how many creatives got pushed back because they thought only that demographic could perform. And it's, it's just infuriating. You hear even like big designers like Ellen Lupton and Paula Cher talk about it. Like design used to be a man's field. I had a teacher tell, told, she used to talk, she used to work in a big advertising agency when she first started and she got tore down by male designers. And it's just like, uh, the culture has a strong history in gatekeeping and I do not like it. It's, it's awful. <laughs> yeah. I did not know. Sorry, that, that was a lot. <laughs> Sorry, no, I, I just like, lot. no, when you watch this back, you're going to see my facial expressions, like some of the stuff you say, and they're, they're just going to be so funny. I couldn't hold, I couldn't hold it back and be serious. I was just like, I did not know yeah. that at all. That's yeah. insane. That makes so much and sense. Then, I'm traumatized. It, it does. <laughs> but, it does. It does. Oh, man. No, imposter syndrome. I would, and I don't see, I used to think, oh, it's just like an artist. It's just an artist thing no it's not it's not our fault <laughs> we were set up to fail from the beginning and i you know i'm i have bad imposter syndrome and i'm mm -hmm. like i'm at a point in my career where i'm just like you know whatever because uh i i work with an intuitive coach jenna she's been on the podcast <laughs> she's awesome mm -hmm. i will never forget what she said to me that like changed my whole career trajectory and i talked about this in kel's episode the creator mm -hmm. of ArtFit, she said, well, I, I told her, you know, I want to start my own business. I want to work for myself. I get treated like crap. I'm sick of it. I don't deserve mm -hmm. this. You know, I might not be like the best artist in the world, but I don't deserve how I've been treated my career so far. And she yeah. said, okay, well, why haven't you quit your job and started your business then? And I said, okay, well, I don't, I don't know. And she was like, well, what's your worst case scenario? Like, what's your fear? And I said, that I try and then I fail and I have to go back to a job like what I'm at now. And she was mm -hmm. like, Oh, your worst, your worst fear is what you're currently existing yep. in. And I was like, I guess, yeah, I guess it is. And mm -hmm. then after that mm -hmm. conversation, I, I quit my job and look, it's freaking hard. It's been so hard. Like, <laughs> like I've never struggled so much in my life. But I've also mm -hmm. never been this relaxed and not stressed. 
Mm-hmm. I would rather be this broke forever and not be stressed about having to work like a 70 hour week and like not really mm. get compensated for it. Like it's, it's insane. But a big reason why I it kind of got put off for years longer than I wanted it to, because it was always, you know, like in the back of my mind, like, oh, one day, like, I'm going to, you know, own my own business. And like, this is going to be the thing. Mm-hmm. But I never actually took any action until recently to actually do it. And a big part of that was because of imposter syndrome that I had from those mm-hmm. past jobs of people acting like I still had to pay my dues and this, this and that and like all of this stuff. And at my last design job being treated like a kid, I literally, that was my nickname. They wouldn't even call me Caitlin. They'd say, hey, kid, mm. come over here. Hey, kid, get over well, here. I was a kid. It's Well, it's like it creates <laughs> such a negative feedback loop because every time that you try to grow, you a negative interaction happens. And exactly. that's what keeps people from growing is that they're afraid that more success equals more people treating me badly, which unfortunately is true on the internet. Yeah. But <laughs> it's like, no, and I, I I just feel like if, and there are a lot of creatives who felt this, like, um, so in here in Chicago, the people who headed up are all about inclusivity and they've had to fight back against the older members of AIJ Chicago because we have this event called Ask Slash Give, where any person from a creative profession can come to this event. It's $5, and the other members had problems with it being $5, but the whole point is for it to be accessible. But if you're a student, it's free, but we don't check if you're a student. So you can just show up, have a name tag, and you can ask anybody for anything. We had somebody do a portfolio review yesterday. The other day, we had someone do, like, a presentation because like we had two key presenters we had people saying we have job openings over here and it's like the whole purpose of the event is for anybody to show up and give information that they found valuable or ask for information that they are missing out on and you know it's it's become such a welcoming environment and i i just wish that like more creatives saw it that way because i've seen like even in like the because I moved in Chicago in July and I started going in August. And in the several months that I've been going, like I've seen other creatives' portfolios completely change after that. Even my portfolio has changed just by talking to people, seeing different work. And it's just like you have to create an area where people can be vulnerable or there won't be any growth. If you're just bashing people and trying to be an elitist, you're not going to create a good community. Exactly. It's, it's insane to me too. like, as somebody, you know, I, I feel like I'm so young that I just have to not be good. Like, there's just no way. Or like, uh, I saw this, I think I saw it on Twitter. Somebody tweeted, like, if, if like somebody thinks, hold on, it was word. I, I don't remember the exact wording of it, but it was, it was basically like something along the lines of like, something can only be good if like you could have never done it before. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If I'm, I'm not remembering the wording properly, but it was something along mm-hmm. those lines. And, you know, as like, I've been newly freelancing and looking for work, like the type of titles for things that I've been applying to are like junior designer, junior graphic designer, those types of things. I started getting rejected after rejected, like not even hearing anything back. And I was like, I I wonder why, like, I keep getting, you know, these rejections. This sucks. Like, I really want more contract work because, like, I'm dying over here. Uh, And then I I saw a listing for a a senior graphic designer. And I saw and it said minimum four years of experience. And I was like, oh, that's Mm -hmm. not that much. I have five years. I'm going to apply, whatever got back to me the next day. I was like, was I shooting too low? Have I been shooting too low this whole time because of my imposter syndrome made me think that like I was still at the junior level? Like, is that what's happening? I'm I'm like so Ooh. confused. So that's like another thing too that I feel like is really important in the art industry in general is like, mm-hmm. don't shoot well, too low. <laughs> like, Well, the, the other thing is that like, I feel like another thing that stops creatives from really succeeding too is they don't feel confident enough in themselves to shoot where they want to go. 
Yeah. And they're like, one of the best things that you can do is think of an industry you want to be in. Look at that industry. Look at the work. Look at your portfolio. Think, could my work exist in this space? And if so, apply. If not, restructure your portfolio to do the work that you want to do and target the companies you want to do work for. Cold email people go to events that they go to. Like one of the things that I originally wanted to do was do a rebranding for a startup business. So you want to know what I did? I went to the local startup event in my town where people would hold pitch competitions for their startup business and whoever won would get funding. And I went up to those people and I was like, do you need someone to design your presentation and a logo? Do you need someone to spruce up this sales letter that you want? Do you need someone to refresh your website? And it was, I was doing work and freelance work for people who I wanted to do work for because I showed up in their space and I was the only graphic designer they knew. And that's what you got to see it as. Like a lot of the people who do the hiring of creatives don't know where to find them because the creatives are with the creatives and not with the people who they want to work for. Yeah. That's a problem I have. And Oh, same, same. Well, it's just like you, you feel comfortable with your audience, but you got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. So like yeah. email that restaurant, you know, do a bit of spec work because a lot of agencies will do this. They will create a fake project for a client they want to work for and send it to them. And if they don't hear back, they post it on social media and someone in a similar industry sees that. And they're like, oh, I want to make that move. And they end up contacting them for work. And, and you know, that's what you should do with your portfolio. Put work that you want to do in it. It's, it's that simple. You know, make sure you're meeting that industry standard and feel. Make sure it feels like that industry. But differentiate it with your own personal taste, you know. And that's what will separate you from other creatives. Yeah, absolutely. I just realized we are already at over an hour and I don't think I got to like half my questions because I just wasn't even looking at them to be honest with the mark of a good episode in my book. Yes. Um, um, but I do, I do want to make sure that you answer my last question that I ask everybody. Cause I feel like it's the most important one bef before we start <laughs> wrap it up and we can always do a part two, which hopefully uh, if you're open to it, I'd love for you to come back and do a part two because oh, this is a really, totally, really good totally. episode. But uh, I do want to ask you, uh, what what advice do you think you would give your younger self regarding your career? Is there anything that you would have done differently mm -hmm. in the past? <laughs> yeah, honestly. And it would be trying to work in the industry sooner. I didn't start my like internships and other stuff until my last year of college. And I didn't start freelancing heavily until my junior year. And it's like, I wish that I put myself out there more and failed faster. And I, I feel like, you know, I would have better work and like, don't be afraid to learn programs. You don't think you might not know, just open them up and play around. You never know what you might make because like, you can fail all you want in your spare time and no one's going to judge you as long as you don't post it online. So <laughs> that, that would be my last bit of advice. That's really good. I'm kind of like, there's so much stuff that we didn't get to. I'm like, how did this happen? It did not feel like an hour well, went by. <laughs> well, we got sidetracked. It happens. But yeah, I, I don't mind coming back at all. And uh, I have my... I think I have my website linked to you. So, and it has my email. And so if anybody wants to send me questions after this. Oh yeah. Episode, yeah. Plug, plug, plug your stuff right now. <laughs> yeah. So my website should be listed in the Spotify. But other than that, I'm Derek's cute art on Instagram and TikTok. I get DMS about portfolio reviews and questions from people all the time. And I, and I don't mind answering them. I can't answer them all at once if I get a huge influx, but like, I, I don't mind volunteering my time. I do portfolio reviews for people all the time at AIG events. So online's no different. So yeah, you can find my work at DerekD.Design and that has all my contact information. 
And you can also check me up on LinkedIn as well. Great resource for creatives that's underutilized. And you can check my background if you want to even get my advice. Yeah, I definitely need to add you on LinkedIn because I don't ha- I don't think I have you on LinkedIn. But yeah. this this is a really good episode. I'm so glad that you came on. I, I hope that you do come back for a part two and maybe even potentially a designer horror stories episode. <laughs> I have a few. I have a few that I love telling people. <laughs> so do I. I. I don't know how I haven't done that yet. Artwise has been around. This is the third year that Artwise has been around and I haven't yet to do that. I'm like, I cannot believe myself. I'm so crazy. (laughs) It's all good. You're not alone. I have heard nightmare stories, like people putting stuff into mass print with a really bad typo. Like I've, I've heard so much stuff like that. Like it's good. (laughs) When, when I worked for fanatics, I don't want to record this. Uh, anyway. All right. All right. We can I'll stop t- there. I'll, t- I'll tell you as soon as I stop it. Um, but thank thank you guys so much for listening, for making it this far into the episode. It was a really, really good episode. And thank you again, Derek, for coming on. I really hope that you'll come on for a part two and potentially oh, totally, totally horror story episode. And, <laughs> and you yeah. know, if anybody has any questions, just reach out after this. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, if you if you guys listening and made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, we will have a Patreon. So if you really like the podcast, if you join the Patreon, you'll get an additional couple of episodes a month minimum. And you'll have access to all of the bonus episodes ever. So um, feel free to check that out. We also do have merch on my personal website, katemerrymanart.com slash shop. And please give us five stars. I think we deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again, Derek, for coming on. And I will see everybody else next Tuesday. Bye, everyone. Bye.